Welcome to the Don't Die Podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. So here we are. One of the things that just irritates me is, and I heard it quoted, uh, I went to a business meeting with some rehab owners on Thursday in the OC, and one of them quoted that often quoted thing that only one in 10 people who need treatment get ever seek it. That's a bullshit lie, who, who, ladies and gentlemen. Anybody who tells you from? that is a bullshit lie. Yeah. Most people have access to treatment. Now, do they like the treatment they're getting? No, because the, the, the costly treatment, the insurance-driven treatment isn't very good, and nobody wants to go to like Salvation Army, do they? Unless they're hopeless. No. And if, helpless it, it, and lost. Yeah, you, that's you know the refuge of the last. That's the last house on the block for But a lot here's of the thing. If you're hopeless, helpless, and lost, you're almost to the finish line of, to get sober. Right. Right? And so what's really happening is young people who are not nearly hopeless, helpless, and lost have a tremendous life problem and drug dependency problem. I'm not going to call it addiction. They are dependent on drugs and they're, they have no life skills. And so they end up going to one rehab after another, after another, after another, and the parents are constantly disappointed and scared they're going to die. I'm just really focusing on that issue. Don't fucking die. I don't know when you will grow up and learn that you have to support yourself. That might be 10 years from now. But in the meantime, till then, till you really grasp what adulthood is, don't die. Is that simple? (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I I looked into what you used to talk about a lot about the pre-contemplative stage. And there's a lot of that. There's so much of that. And for people to look that up. Yeah, there's, there's old ASAM stuff, which I don't want to bore you with a bunch of chemical dependency stuff, but um, there's 12 steppers call it surrender, unsurrendered. But the clinical world for 40 years looked at it, you were pre contemplative, meaning you weren't even contemplating stopping, or you weren't even contemplating that what you were doing was why your life was so shitty you were pre that <laughs> right and, and that's and that's before treatment, thinking treatment about it <laughs> will never work for somebody pre-contemplative so waste don't waste your money but treatment was for the contemplative to wear them down right. i was contemplative from 1989 till 1996 when i got sober so i was contemplating getting sober for seven years <laughs> yeah it's still preparing to begin to commence but so. when i when i knew mike martin i wasn't contemplating shit i was contemplating if he had 40 dollars so we could buy some crack and some heroin well That's you decided was... he needed to stop though you <laughs> yeah. you were in action state for him well he he was in he was in pre-contemplative and pete and i had contemplated that he was not no now he fuck with my microphone <laughs> like, where'd you go mike not mart, funny mike mike mart was pre-contemplative <laughs> when he should have been contemplative yes so we all have been moms and dads every addict goes from this oh there's nothing wrong i'm just shooting heroin every day and i don't have a place to live there's nothing wrong with that i'm young right to holy shit i'm 
older now and I don't have a place to live. Maybe it's related to the shooting heroin. Hmm. Right? That's hmm. contemplation. Then, even after what I call surrender or whatever you want the person to move from contemplation into surrender, it still ain't over. There's still a big learning curve in that category. Right. Right? Which is relapse after a year of sobriety or five years of sobriety. This shit just goes on and on. And moms and dads, I know you want everything wrapped up in a bow with, in a month or two or three and you want them to go to Harvard. That's never going to happen. If they're not in <laughs> Harvard now, <laughs> being, a dr- being a drug addict didn't prevent them from going to Harvard. Do you know what I mean? Right. And People I, accomplish I'm using things even metaphors, though they use. But parents have too high expectations for how low functioning their children are. Well, and that's sad because I've been talking about this a lot lately. And that yeah, is. Yeah, you're working in high end treatment now. You know no, what I'm talking no, about. I was talking, <laughs> I was talking about for me. For me, um, when I got clean, all I wanted to do was get through the day without the obsession to drink or use just ruining every minute. That's all I wanted. I didn't want to go back to school. I didn't care about a new car or a place to live. It was just about getting through a day. I haven't seen anybody like that in a long time. I know, it's sad. And that's where you get when you're left to your own devices. And there's a a hidden lie between the parents and the facilities and and the kids. And, and I just always cut to the chase. Have you met your kid? You'll be lucky if he can just have his own apartment and drive from point A to point B and feed himself. Right. You know what I mean? And parents need that honest approval, of, uh, you know, that honest kind of appraisal of their children. Like, there are some of the lowest functioning kids in the world I've met. Like, they don't even know how to open a bank account. I go, dude, right. you walk into a bank with money and ask to talk somebody about opening an account. And then after that, it'll just happen. And they're like, really? They don't, it's amazing the, the functionality of this generation of drug addicts. Right, right. but we also discussed, you and I did, how that's not 100%, not nowhere near 100% their fault. Not only is there the hovering helicopter parents, but there's, it's easier to do something for somebody than it is to teach them how to do it. It's easier to just you know open up that bank account for them than it is to explain how to do it or to have to deal with the aftermath or to clean it up or to go and that's the problem is we're just everything has to happen so fast and nobody wants to take the time to teach anybody anything well i don't did anybody teach me how to open a bank account i mean this is like really primary shit so they so so young people right now uh, they they do this helpless thing right it's learned helplessness. So the kid will say, I got a check, but I don't, I can't cash it, right? <laughs> so I'll be like, well, go open a bank account. Yeah. And they're like, um, well, I, I have bad credit. I go, credit has nothing to do with a bank account. Go to a bank. Go to a bank that you don't have bad credit. Right? If you fucked Wells Fargo under, go to Bank of America. I mean, it's amazing how the, the little baby steps you have to explain that how are they ever going to understand the big steps? They, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So there's this lacking, and, and the recovery industry exploits this tremendously. So they teach helplessness too, right? You eat, they feed you, they drive you, they get you your medicine, they take you to the supermarket, you know. So, so how, are, how are young people, and we're talking about 18 to like 28-year-olds, 26-year-olds, 
well, interestingly, 18 to 26 is the prime market for rehab because the extension of you can be on your parents' insurance till you're mm -hmm. 26. That's what created this industry, right? So, so the rehabs don't really teach you how to open a bank account or do grocery shopping. They just do it with you for you. Do you understand? Same yeah, as your parents do it. No, that that's that's true. That happens a lot. It doesn't happen where I am. We we do a life. We make that part of the treatment plan where it's life skills. Oh, but you, do you let them go by themselves? Let them do the shopping. Have their house managers make them cook because they're using the, that Postmate thing where you can get like takeout food from anywhere. Yeah, or grub steak or whatever. All that stuff. <laughs> grub and, up. <laughs> well, and I don't mean to talk bad about them. I think that's a, a great thing if you need it. But to be doing it every day and be spending all that money on it, no, you need some life skills. It's not their money. It's not their <laughs> money. No, I'm talking about once they leave. You want them to leave with life skills. So Still, that's it won't important. be their money. They get allowances <laughs> at 26 years old. That's, you know what I mean? That's crazy. That's yeah. just busy work to make the parents feel like their kids can cook. I've been doing that for four years. Trust me. <laughs> I, I, I like it. I I'm going to believe it. Because someday, because <laughs> you imagine someday they're going to be like you. We've got to let go of the experiences of the baby boomers and the Gen Xers. The millennials are going to learn their own way. It might be through an app. They might end up eating from Grubhub the rest of their lives. <laughs> but I guarantee you they know how to feed themselves. Because when they go on drug binges... How do they eat, Chuck? How mm -hmm. do they eat for those three weeks or two months that they disappear? They must learn how to eat and take care of themselves. I see it as they're the highest functioning in their lives when they're using. I'm, I'm being honest. I want to blow the roof off of all this shit. <laughs> so, so parents, I want you to listen to me. If somebody's 18 years old in the United States... They're considered what's called the category of an adult. Huh. And they are responsible for themselves. Does everybody know this? 18, not 20, not 22, not 24, not 26, not 28, not 30, not 32. The adult age is 17 years and 366 days. Right? True. Right. And Bob Think really means that. this. He's throwing his, ar his arms are all over the place. He <laughs> means this so I'm much. I'm so passionate you have no about idea. this. I'm we, afraid. So big farm is killing them. The doctors are killing them. And so are we as the parents are killing them. We make victims out of them. We make helpless people out of them. And I'm telling you, they are not helpless and they are not victims when they're out hustling, getting money for dope and buying dope and finding a place to do it and driving in a friend's car and going over here and doing this, and going to a pain management clinic and getting some pills and selling them to this guy and getting some of this and doing that. That is when they're actually functioning. And when they come to our house and we yell at them and give them $40 and, and all the things I've done to my older son too, I'm guilty too. I do, I, from the time he was 17 to 22, every time he come with the tail between his legs, I would do for him and yell at him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You're going to earn this money. Because <laughs> I'm going to yell at you. <laughs> yeah. Right? So I'm just saying we, we need new attitude, man. We need new attitude. And, and I know it's so hard. I know it's so hard for parents to let go because, you know, one of the things I think it's so hard is it's not socially acceptable to kick your kid out and say, fuck you. My dad kicked all of us out one after another.
You know what I mean? I have three sisters, right? Here's the ages we left. I lived my senior year of high school by myself. I, I lived in an apartment. I didn't even live with my parents my senior year of high school. <laughs> my sister left at 16 and got married. My other sister lived till she was 19 till she got her own apartment. Then my other sister, from the time she was 17, lived with her boyfriend, you know, was with her boyfriend all the time. They're still married 50 years later, right? We were out of there because right. that's the way society worked. We were not best friends with our parents. We were the fuck out of there and on to create our own lives and our own relationships. I, I wouldn't have the light. I'd be dead. Here's Because we were talking about it day before yesterday. A musician died and it's under circumstances to whether he killed himself or he died or it was looked like suicide or this. I don't want to talk about it, but I do want to say the conversations I had with my friends over it. Because we're he the person was a sober person, it looks like he wasn't sober anymore, or or he didn't really know what sober was, or he had forgotten, or I, I, whatever. But we were talking about when you get into your fifties, how how weird it is, right? Because we didn't. For one thing, this is I'm in a generation we didn't expect to live to our fifties. Oh no, I don't even <clears> think I wanted to. to. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I don't want to make it to 30. Or really, that would have been sad. So here's the weird thing. Now we have a generation of millennials that are dying like flies every day. They're doing what we want to. And they think they're never going to die and they're just going to rule the universe because mm -hmm. they're just so awesome. We felt like pieces of shit who didn't care whether we lived or died and we're now we're 56. I'm right. 56 and friends of mine are 54. And we're talking via text like us old folks do. <laughs> <laughs> the, the live slow die old era us yeah. it's a new version of old people talk so and we use full sentences <laughs> and english <laughs> there's no lols <laughs> right so so we're talking and i really felt like if it wasn't for a handful of good friends that i have i i might have killed myself I might have died. I think it's friends that keep you when you're at your most vulnerable, at your most down. They recognize it in you. They say something or they give you a stiff talking to when you need it. Right. Mm -hmm. I think I'm sober uh, primarily because of Keith Morris and a guy named Chris Hoy. If it wasn't for those two people, I wouldn't be sober. No, because, thank you, Keith and Chris. Because at, because at crucial parts, they fucking told me the truth. Right. There's no truth going on right now. That's a contributing factor as to why kids are not getting sober. They don't trust then because there's this financial gain involved in the helping. Trust me, I was in cry help twice. I knew they weren't making a fucking dime. You know what I mean? I was in Hazelden, the fanciest rehab in America at the time. It was $14,500 for 28 days. Now that is in 1988. So let's cost adjust, double it, double at least. It at least. Right. It's ridiculous and it's got to stop, right. right? Because there's a quid pro quo. These kids in Orange County in particular, where I've been working lately, they know they're, if they have like really good insurance, it's like a credit card. Oh, it is. It, it is. And the guys. So have, how are we mm -hmm. supposed to tell the truth? How are they supposed to trust us? We can lie to ourselves and say, yeah, oh, you know, the disease and blah, 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 blah. But the fact is, the crucial, critical, 
down on this the the really primary level of like listen i'm doing this because i love helping i could say that when i worked at map i could say that when i had my little flunky outpatient in hollywood was cash only and i just just 12 kids and trying to survive and pay the rent and pay everybody it's really hard you know what i mean (laughs) yeah you know there, there, there was there was a really there was a really harsh thread this morning on uh on the Facebooks where is this guy who I, I like the guy and he was, he was talking about um, almost exactly this thing because there are, I, and I, the only thing I could comment on it was I wish I could say it's just a few bad apples, but it's not, it's, it's so many bad apples that it, you're searching for the few good. I, I just no, know but that where is, where is probably the purest form? <clears throat> Here's an interesting thing. We now have sold AA for eight years to these kids. So they, we've poisoned the well of can twelve steps. You can say whatever you want, really. What are they going to do? Kick me out? <laughs> yeah. I wish they would. <laughs> God, you going down that road again? <laughs> oh my God! Oh. <laughs> That's the beauty of it. Like you know. Anyways, the they they they're not hot on it. Some are. I would say quarter of them, but three quarters. And and I'll give you an example. The highest priced optimization pay per click is alternative treatment so everybody that why would people pay 55 dollars a pay-per-click right if it wasn't the most valuable search engine word and that means that everybody that's looking for treatment is looking for non-12 steps Mm -hmm. that's why even 12-step based programs minimize on their websites that they're 12-step based well yeah that that's a truth and, and that's sad because you can integrate it without having it be part of your day to day. But, uh, you know, that's a whole that's a whole. it's just about arms. marketing and but money. It's it, not about helping so many, people. So many people want to do um, they they're still pre pre contemplation and they don't want to stop altogether. They just want to learn how to how to use right or they want to get the proper meds so that they can be loaded all day and call it sober. Well, that's happening, too. So the, that's the box. So anyways, killing me. getting back to the original thing. So this guy. Uh, you know it was it it sent a shockwave through the sober community that i'm in and and through friends and and you know people in my life right and we're texting back and forth and i just really concluded that at key times in my life friends have stepped in and confronted me at the four and a half year point my life was falling apart people climbed in my window of my house to say, dude, what the fuck is going on? I was seriously thinking about killing myself. Is that when you threw your foil out in the back yeah. of your dog? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> someday, someday. That's a great story. <laughs> Write that down, Mike Mart. The, <laughs> Poor do- dog. the dog ate the foil. <laughs> Write that down, please. <laughs> that, was Be- that was Bella. She <laughs> ate a little heroin. She had- we had to take her to the vet. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, so, I mean, come on. So when we distance ourselves from our friends or we no longer have those close, intimate friendships anymore, which happens with age, I'm telling you, as you get older, your circle of friends gets smaller, your level of intimacy kind of uh, gets smaller, right? People know less and less about how you're internally feeling. It's the actual fact. The highest rate of suicide is males between the ages of 38 and 54, Guess how old this guy was? 52. Right. So it's not just, oh, you know, this international fame bullshit. It's, and I've been in that category. And I think it's my friends that stopped it. Yeah, yeah. 
I just don't. Mike just came in to show us if it's who we're talking about. Yes, I don't want to talk about people. I just want to talk about things no, and I subject know, matters. I know you want to let him I'd, rest in yeah, peace. Yeah, I just for don't real. want to. It just doesn't matter who it was. It's 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 two people that since this happened, friends of mine have told me, yeah, a friend of mine killed himself. Mm-hmm. Right. So right. So why it is is intimacy gets shrinks as you age especially among males. Now you have your circle of friends, for better or for worse. And this is the other thing. I wasn't saying that Keith and Hoy are so great a people because <laughs> they, they can be very difficult people, right? Mm-hmm. But they saved, my lo- they saved my life at critical junctures and me allowing them to, be, to know what's going on with me right and that's what the 12-step world does i i whether millennials want to believe it or not that's what the 12-step world does it forces you to you know i can i years ago i used to have a thursday night thing at my house and people would look at me from the other side of the room and then come at the break and go are you okay just by looking at me. Mm-hmm. And I was trying yeah. to put on the phoniest front in town. <laughs> Smiles. <laughs> Dude, oh, 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 oh. I'm great. Oh, I love, oh, I'm so grateful today. No. I'm so grateful, Chuck. <laughs> I can't tell you. It's how so much. great to see you. <laughs> love you guys. Oh, it's so great. It's just, I look forward to this every Thursday. <laughs> Coffee's excellent tonight. <laughs> So you guys that are in the world know what we're talking about. But friends of mine, a couple who knew me really well, one of the guys that climbed in the window, would just be like, are you all right? Because this, the thing that I went through at the four and a half year period didn't just end out of some great insight. It ebbed and flowed, right? Yep. The contemplation of suicide and the, oh my gosh, I would hit a bad patch there. It's over now. <laughs> right? Ooh, thank God that's over. And you know, and that it's things like how hot it is in here. I was telling Mike, so so the air conditioning in the studio broke. Right? So let me tell you some things that have broken this last couple of weeks. New car I just bought broke. Then oh. got that fixed. Then my old car broke. Right? Then the washing machine broke and it had stinky water in it for like, you can't, have you ever tried to get a washing repair guy to come out? It takes, they're like, oh, well next Wednesday we could be out there. I'm like, dude, it's Thursday. You're talking about, how do I get the water out? That's what I said to the lady. And she said, well, you can just scoop it out with a cup. And I said, I've already done that, but there's still like two inches that are going to be rancid by Wednesday. Put bleach in it. Huh? You put bleach in it. Is that what you do? Come. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I should have asked you. you don't, How do you know? Because I've had lots of things break and I haven't had money to fix them. <laughs> that keeps the mosquitoes from growing in your... In your, <laughs> in your washing machine? Yeah. I almost said dishwasher because they're all the same to me. I don't know how to fix things. Oh, yeah. The thing uh, in, in that house where I was living in LA, the spinner on the dishwasher broke. So I just unbolted it and took it because it was broken. It was making a sound. And I just washed them anyways without the spinner thing. That doesn't work. It did kind of. You had to rinse them afterwards. He's so cheap. I am a cheap. You know, it was a sober living. What are you going to do? They're just going to break it again anyway. They should be washing anyway. dishes anyhow. They should oh. learn how to wash dishes. Oh, really? Yeah. Should I? Yeah, see? So, so, so here's the thing. To, not to, you know, bum rush the parents, but... 
Why do the parents never teach them to wash dishes? For the same reason I wouldn't teach them to wash dishes. Because you have to sit there over them and show them how to do it right. Takes time. And then and yep. it, and, and usually do it again and do it and again. you have to do it several times. Yeah. And when it's a sober living, you have to do it almost every two weeks because there's another gang of kids in there that don't know how to wash. Well, there's usually one guy that'll do it all and complain. He's got OCD. Yeah, he'll do it all and go. I can't believe I had to I do all, the, those all guys. the dishes again. Oh, I, you need one. I would scholarship household. some of those. Guys. Absolutely. <laughs> they clean the bathroom and then bitch all day, all night. That's how they stayed sober. Was complaining. Yeah. They were some too- of them are still sober now. Right. They they really do. They're the guys that, you know, I'm getting sick of fucking this around here. All, I've been the one to clean everything. I'm like, oh, my you goodness. Go, okay, we'll talk to everybody. It'll get better. And you know it's not. No, they do but that in the do. house meeting. In the house meeting, they do that. Dude, they go off. Oh, I didn't stop my wife yesterday. She was doing that downstairs with the, with the tile floor. And I was like, I love OCD when it works in my OCD is a good thing when it's, it's going in the right brilliant. direction. So anyways, I, you know, so I, I just think the, the recovery industry until it shakes out, whatever Trump's going to do with Trump care or whatever, until, until there's here, here's a scary thing. The recovery industry is one of the least regulated industries in the world. And we're living in the age of deregulation. So what do you think is going to happen? From where I'm sitting, there's a ton of regulation. I mean, that's Jayco to get paid. There's nobody from the state coming out. There's nobody from the state coming out. Right. There's the state is not the 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 levels of of uh, what the state asks you to do in order to run almost a hospital is frighteningly minimal. Right. It's Jayco that the insurance industry is now Jayco smart. The Joint Commission, it's called. That's a hospital joint commission, and. So Jayco, the insurance industry said, we're not going to pay anybody that's not Jayco. So now everyone's running around getting Jayco. It's not that hard to get Jayco. I've, I've been, see, I worked in a real hospital for nine years. I know how things are supposed to be. But, but I said to everyone, because people started calling me like last year, like, you know anything about Jayco? I was like, you should probably know what it is before you start freaking out about it. It's the Joint Commission and it's, you know, it seems scary. I think it's the way rehabs should be anyways, right? But but rather than just bum rush it through, because it's pretty easy to get joint commission. You can hire people that know how to do it, and they can be on the front lines when Jayco comes. That's what a lot of places do. There's, there's Jayco company, you know, there's these companies that come in and show you how to be a Jayco accredited facility, and they update your policy and procedure and they get all the procedures in place. That's all well and good. No, Getting Jayco is easy. That's excellent. Maintaining it or even understanding what why it exists, that's more interesting to me. Maintaining it, right? So Joint Commission wants, it's a standardization of care, right? So that every rehab should have the same high quality standard of care and policy and procedure and documentation. So that's a good thing that's happening in the industry. What I think has happened, though, is these places have got Jayco accredited and they're not doing it. They just got it to put on their wall to send to the insurance well, company. Then it'll be gone in six months or whatever. When somebody dies, that's when they come out. Oh. Right? Well, that's so I, I never saw Jayco until we had what's called Sentinel Events, according to the Joint Commission. Sentinel it's called event. the Sentinel Event. 
that means that somebody in your care has passed away. And what 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 the industry has counted on for years is in outpatient, it doesn't matter. There's been so many outpatient deaths in this Southern California, but there's no responsibility of the facility. There is going to be if you have Jayco, right? Really? So just think about it. Right yeah. now, the way things were in 2014, 15, 16, if somebody died in outpatient and sober living, they just call the coroner. I, I hate to be so blunt, but that's really it. There's no liability or responsibility, right? With JACO accreditation, there is, and they will come out, and they will go through your books, your outpatient books, and they will look and see what was going on. They'll, invest, they'll investigate, right? Because you got to understand, it's always a lower and lower level of care at a higher and higher price. That's the gimmick of the recovery industry, huh. right? So, so understand, it used to be in hospitals. It's very expensive to be in hospitals. It's actually affordable, right? 15000 20000 22000 You never saw Exodus and Maria Del Rey that was in Daniel Freeman Hospital or Los Encinas where I worked in a Los Encinas psychiatric hospital or, or uh, uh, Exodus at, at Brockman. You never saw them go over the $30,000 threshold. They just didn't, right? You had a standard of pricing, you had a standard of care. It was like $1,000 a day, eight, eight, 10 a day was lost and seen us. Inpatient, in the hospital, with doctors and nurses and psychiatrists and psychologists, real licensed people, not 12-step people and a marriage and family therapist, right? So high standards, affordable price. So the insurance industry decided they didn't like that because it was still expensive, you know, $1,000 a day, $800 mm -hmm. a day. So the residential treatment centers, which are just houses with a marriage and family therapist and a bunch of 12-steppers, those are $500 a day. So they started authorizing residential treatment and arguing and fighting every day that you stayed in the hospital. I was there when it happened, 2003, 2004, right? They wanted to get rid of inpatient care and they used pumping a bunch of money into residential treatment to get rid of inpatient treatment. They did it quite effectively, right? And then what's happened recently, last three years, they want to get rid of residential treatment and they push right. a bunch of money into PHP and IOP. And so now the industry embraced that. It's called the Florida model, embraced it. No liability, low overhead, low quality of care. You have people detoxing in a sober living without patient, right? Basically, you five days in a detox unit and then you're out of sorts and out of your mind, but you're living in sober living and going in a van to some outpatient somewhere. They've been dumping a bunch of money into that to get rid of residential treatment, which they almost have now because everybody's adjusted and built these ad hoc systems that look like residential treatment but are really legally sober living without patient, right? What's right. next? In this trend, Chuck, what do you think is next? They're going to get rid of outpatient treatment and then they're done. And the and what are they going to suggest? Harm reduction. It's coming. I can see it. I've been watching it the whole time. So what are they going to be pushing then? Just Suboxone for? Suboxone. I think you're going to see marijuana maintenance in, in certain, you know, there's already Joe Shank, my friend, has a marijuana rehab center. Right. Dr. Drew and I were talking about it. He's like, after the thing that happened the other day, he said, you know, rather than be on benzos or whatever else from a psychiatrist, wouldn't it be better that the person just smoke pot? 
You don't die from pot. And that's something that's going to be reoccurring. If Dr. Drew and I are talking about that, as opposed to sober addicts going, taking benzos and suboxone. Okay. I I would really be interested to see what, what the discussion you and Drew would have after after researching, especially the, the higher dose of THC that we're dealing with now as opposed to what we have studies on. Well, the edibles, you know, the edibles, you can adjust THC levels, right? right? So the idea is, and I don't know, we should have Joe Shank on. We should have Warren on. We should have Joe on here and talk about, I just want anything that will keep 20-year-old kids from dying of Suboxone and Klonopin or heroin and Ativan, you know what I mean? Or Ativan and alcohol and fentanyl. Whatever's going to reduce pe- kids dying before they grow up and realize, you know, whatever. You know another thing that I think is going to happen? And it, it's starting to? <laughs> so what if they never grow up? What ends up happening? And, and there was outliers when I was... 25 and 30 there are friends of mine that outliers outliers are examples of what's to come weird things in a culture of what could possibly come i have friends that were in their mid 40s who lived with their moms and their moms still did their laundry for them think about that were they serial killers or no they were musicians same thing (laughs) serial killer pedophile musician same thing isn't that weird? <laughs> they they never wanted you to know, they and did. a lot of you didn't know, right? But I'd be like, dude, what? You know, you they didn't your, know where the strip your, club was to get they, a girlfriend. Isn't that? They, I, thought they, they, I thought you guys no, all got no. Strippers. This was even after that. They lived independently, but eventually their their low function ability and the then the lack of career arc, let's say, led them back to the lack parents. of career. <laughs> That's what I've suffered from. <laughs> I'm not a failure. It's a lack of career arc. Yeah, there's it just has yeah, there's going, you peak too soon. So the, the sunset came too soon Dang, for some people. That's explained. I I just got sad. <laughs> I need to talk to somebody. Dude, dude, you know what's even sadder? Your sunset is ha- my sunset. How about this? My sunset happened in 92, but I didn't realize it till 94. <laughs> That was tough, those two years. Oh, man. Because you would ask me, hey, man, what are you doing lately, Bob? Oh, I'm just working on some songs. I actually was just a homeless person. But I was whenever asked. And when I would say just working on some songs, I would believe it. (laughs) The reality had not pierced in that the the Thelonious Monster was over. (laughs) The Loneliest Monster was gone. But I was continuing on as if nothing had happened. Just working on a record. Okay. I've seen those guys. There's, there's, there's a bunch of those. You're not the only one. It was crazy. And so then I, about 90, when I was in Cry Help in 95, it really hit me like, because in Cry Help, here's, I was still had a lot of junky moves. I still had a lot of contemplative to pre-contemplative back and forth. So you're supposed to have a job to go to the tea house, right? So I argued and won the argument. Because Leslie Jacobs, my counselor, believed the argument, and, and it was a good argument, which is I'm a musician, so yeah, I'll work a little day job, but but if I can play a concert to make the money that you need to graduate, is that cool? So everyone, you know, it was this weird thing, because I was working at, load, at a loading dock, right? 
Okay, I was working at a loading dock, but my big plan, because I was never going to save money enough to have, I think you needed $800 in a savings account to graduate. Really? Yeah, and this is, this is like, you made like five seventy-five an hour. Like, That's figure, figure a, those numbers. There's what, no way Bob Forrest is ever going to save that amount of money. I'll be in cry help still today. trying to. <laughs> I'll have like 670 and I'll blow $80 on records, right? So I said, hey, can I play McCabe's? And that will be considered, my income for that would be the considered for graduation. It went around and around and they were like, oh, well, maybe, yeah, but you have to keep doing your job that you do, the loading dock job. So I'm wanting to get out of cry help and I want to get into the tea house and get on with my life, right? So I called John Chalou, who ran McCabe's, and I said, hey, could I play like an opening slot for somebody? And he was like, Bob, you're banned from here. And I was like, when did that happen? I had forgotten that I was banned from there. And I wasn't asking to headline. I was asking to open because I knew the opening slot was 500 bucks. I, I was sure I could raise 300 myself. <laughs> and then I could graduate, right? Right. And I was like, banned from there. Holy God. And I, I was like, when did that happen? And I still don't know to this day, but I just recently played there last year after 22 right. years. I, I was there. <laughs> I know. I was Nobody there. knows why I was banned. Oh, it I, had to I, have I been can, drug I related. Why. I, can, drug I can related? tell you why. I just know, don't know the specifics. I can tell you in a general way why you were. <laughs> I wasn't assaulted, was I? <laughs> no, but you were belligerent. Without being violent, you were belligerent. I was belligerent at McCabe's? Uh, you were belligerent everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> when so I McCabe's you, you is kind of and McCabe's is kind of not a non-belligerent environment. But you know, not, belligerent not, belligerence would stand out starkly at McCabe's. Right. Like at Raji's it might not. Mm -hmm. Anyways, okay. so we want to talk to parents to have a little faith, man. If, if, you know, I I'm constantly telling parents, "Listen, how do you think he survives the 3 weeks you didn't see him?" Do you agree that they do function better when they're using? Absolutely. Well, this they're is, using you're every the one first of their talents. You're the first counselor ever in my life that's agreed with me. No. Are you that kidding? may say crazy things about you, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, they're firing on all eight when they're out there to make that stuff happen. Or they found somebody that will take care of everything for them. So they've worked either way. There's a they, collaborative effort. Either way, there's a collaboration they've, going they've on. Collaboration is part right. of life. Right. It's, it's a way to be successful. You know, you find people that they cover your weak spots and, you know, they, they manage to do just fine until you put them in that environment. And that's, that's the first time I've heard it put like that. And yeah, it's true. They fall apart and I need cigarettes. Wah, how do I get cigarettes? What would you do? <laughs> you when just you were sounded on the like the guy on, on Mighty Mouse. Yeah, see here. Courageous, <laughs> courageous cat. Okay, well, we're going to talk about parenting in our next next episode of don't die. What a pleasant title this show is. It's a positive affirmation. 100%. Don't die. I think it's a Buddhist thing. It is. Talk to you later. Hey, this is Bob, and you can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake, 888 Five nine five zero two three five. Tell him Bob told you to call.